You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Allie P. And Allie is donor conceived. And I think we connected Allie through, um, you found out through maybe a Facebook group. Is that right? Um, a half sibling of mine, actually. That's nice. Yeah. I really love getting perspectives from different you know, individuals that have been donor conceived. There's so many, you know, variety of stories out there. There's not one story doesn't define donor conception. And so I think it's part of my goal is to present as many possible different stories as I can. What is unique about your story so far for the show is that you, uh, you have same sex, uh, parents, two moms. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And you knew from an early age. What t- when did you find out you were donor conceived? I don't remember not knowing. Yeah. So it was before memory was able to form and it was yep. part of a concept that you were able to form before you formed even words probably. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so how, having always known that's what a lot of people say that have been told at a young age is that they always knew. Do you see how that maybe affected you differently than others that you know that found out later in life? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it just didn't have an effect, I guess, on my life because it was just my life. It's like what what I always knew. There was never a shocking moment where I found out that everything I knew was wrong. Um, so it was just sort of your life, you know, you just don't know anything different. And so it never has a big problematic effect. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your actual story, kind of your, how, you know, you're growing up, your siblings and your parents. And so, yeah, I have, um, lesbian parents, one biological mom. So she actually carried me, um, and had me. And then I have a full brother. Who so my mom used the same sperm donor and also carried him and we grew up together just you know as siblings mm-hmm. um, and then my parents have been together since their sophomore year of college so yeah same you know, same two parents for a long time and they actually just got married officially last year oh that's so great pretty- congratulations we were it was just a small little thing on the beach and my brother and I and his wife were there so. It was really cool to finally see them get married. I mean, it didn't change our life at all. They'd already, you know, been yeah. together for so long. And then you, did you know of any half-siblings growing up at all? So I didn't at first. It was just like, hey, you have a, you're, you know, we call him the dude. <laughs> the dude is a sperm donor. <laughs> um, and that's that. And then one day we came home. I have like a very vivid memory of it, but we came home from somewhere and I turned on the TV, which I was not supposed to do. And it just happened to turn to a channel about something called the donor sibling registry. Yeah. Um, and you know, is this, this, I guess, news thing about it. And so then we were all like, wait, what is this? What? So we signed up and it's like run by parents. You have to be, or I guess if you're over 18, you can do your own thing. But so my mom put like her email and put like for me female born one twenty one ninety two. So it just has no identifying, just female in your birthday, and then for my brother the same. 
Um, and then it connects you based on your sperm donor's number mm-hmm. to other families that happen to be in the site. Yeah. So through that, we found three other families. Right away? Um, yep. They were already on there. They had known, mm-hmm. like, been in it and met each other before we came into the group. Okay. Three other families right away. And, yeah, and one, one family had four kids, one had one, and one had one. So okay, six other kids, half siblings, like bam, like that. So really? we started meeting up with them annually also, um, going on little trips, you know, meeting somewhere sort of central and all hanging out and the parents organized it. And then slowly more and more kids would show up on the site and join the annual Sibs union, Sibs reunion. Mm-hmm. So Go you ahead, met sorry. three families right away, and mm-hmm. then did you um, were they had they already been meeting with each other, so they knew each other before? Right. Yep. Okay. And so you were the new, you know, siblings to the group. Did you feel pretty welcomed, and you know, was it that an easy transition to to be become part of their group? Yeah, it was. It was very easy. It's a really strange thing, though. Because it's like, okay, here are these people that are my siblings, but are complete strangers. So you kind of have both ends of the mm-hmm. spectrum where like, you feel like you should feel close because there's, you know, a lot of DNA, but then you're like, eh, it's a stranger. Um, so it, we would talk about it a lot. And I think the best description we came up with is it feels like a cousin. Like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. genetics, but it's like, you don't really know them. But I mm-hmm. think that mentality is there to like become very close and you want to like them and know them so it makes that a quicker kind of bonding that makes sense that makes a lot of sense yeah I have half siblings too that I didn't grow up with because that I met later in life um I was adopted at birth so I, I felt the same way it was like they felt familiar a bit but not a bit strange too. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a weird combination. Odd feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you met these families right away. You connected, started going on trips. And what continued to happen over the years? Did you find more? Yeah. <laughs> so first a couple more, maybe five or six more families through that um, that donor sibling registry site. And then it kind of slowed. You know, there was a chunk of us seemed like a lot at the time I don't I couldn't give you a number I guess if I maybe if I thought about it but um so then this ancestry.com and 23andme got big and all of a sudden we are at 80 plus siblings right now 80 siblings (laughs) and are they all over the world or just Um, so far everyone's in the U.S. um wow but it's just like it just escalated rapidly um like I can't I couldn't tell you all their names anymore like in the past all yeah. the ones that you know right away we got close and I knew them all and all about them and then they would come in slowly like one every couple months or maybe a year would pass and so you have time to get to know each and then it was mm-hmm. just like a landslide of these siblings so it made it a lot harder to connect with everyone and I certainly haven't met them all we don't do the annual meetings anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all, I'm the oldest girl that we know of, and I'm, I'll be 28 in January. Okay. There's one sibling older than me. He's three months older than me, mm-hmm. and he's the oldest that we know of. 
And then the youngest are, I think they're in college, freshmen in college. So there's no one very young. So he was pretty active during those, you know, seven, eight years. I guess. Um, So another (laughs) kind of crazy thing with our story, we actually found him. He was an anonymous sperm donor, but we found him. Yeah. Um, How'd you find him? I had no in that. So the, a couple of my half siblings were just, were really interested in the, like knowing him and finding him. And they did a lot of research on 23andMe and somehow weeded it down to find some cousin that knew who he was. And, you know, I don't know. So found his name and then he ended up being a pretty big name in his field. Mm -hmm. Um, so then he was easy once we knew his name to find in Google and research. Mm-hmm. He is currently like working on the idea of it. He's really okay with all of us. But he's not ready to be publicly known yet. Okay. Gotcha. So, so he'll talk to us. And I met him actually once. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives in Norway now though. Okay. Um, and he just happened to be in the city right next to mine. So I was like, this seems like... <laughs> I better wow. do it. He did. So, he, he was there temporarily or he lived there in that, at that point? No. He was just there for a couple days. But now he lives, he lives, so he's from the U.S., but he moved to Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he happened to be back in Texas for a few days. And so oh. I walked over and met him while he was yeah. in town. Okay. Um, and that was never something I thought I cared about doing. Like I, mm-hmm. I think because I grew up with two parents, it felt like, I had my family, you know? Yeah. So I never had this like yearning need to know him or to have a relationship with him. And that's not true of all of my half siblings. A lot of them feel like there's a hole, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but I just thought it'd be cool to meet him. And mm-hmm. I did. And he, did awesome. you like him? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. He's so easy to talk to. He, he was very smart. Um, mm-hmm. He looks so much like my brother. It was kind of mm-hmm. hard, like just, mm-hmm. you know, kept staring. Yeah. Um, it's really wild. He has like our eyes and there was a weird picture online that had his foot in it and like I have his feet, which is just kind of oh, weird. Wow. <laughs> my feet don't look anything like my mom's and Yeah. So it's you know where you got know, it. Little things where you're like, Whoa, that's where those came from. Kind of fills in those gaps. Mm-hmm. Does he have yep. did he have your brother's mannerisms or yours? Or um you- some of them so I think it's hard to tell because we're all very tall and skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that comes like some certain movements, like you're just lanky. So okay. he had that lanky movement look to him like we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There weren't, I didn't see anything where I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was that. Like where I see that with me and him growing up together. I feel like we have mannerisms that are the same. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't think I noticed specific ones that were like the same with the donor and us mm-hmm. did he ever tell you why he donated he did I that was one of the first things I asked him he was like I was in grad school I was very poor I wanted to be on the rowing team and I needed money for a boat okay so for a boat <laughs> you need a boat and he got 80 80 half yeah. uh, offspring. I mean, I wonder if he knew that that's what he was actually, you know, when they're doing it. I don't think that donors often think about that, what they're actually, you know, doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was like, 
I thought maybe one family would choose me maybe oh. and I'd have just like a kid and he's like and I really just didn't think too much you know you just kind of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's so far away and you're young and but he was like blown away that that many families would pick him hmm. wow yeah I wonder how long he donated did you know did you ask him that I think he said it was throughout grad school only and okay. not right away so like one and a half-ish years. Do you I don't know, know what exactly agency? how it works. I didn't ask him. I don't. What bank it was? No, I don't. He was in, I know he was in Austin, Texas when he donated. Hmm. But like my siblings got it from, the, I mean, my parents didn't get it from that bank. My So they must ship it out to other okay. places. Maybe they did. I I'm don't not know. Sure. They're seems- like all over. Interesting. So it wasn't, didn't come from one specific bank, his sperm. They hmm. must like, you know, I don't know, ship it places because we didn't, my parents didn't go to Austin to get it. That's, I know that's where he donated. And then Austin, Texas, and hmm. my parents got it from somewhere in Ohio. Um, I think Pennsylvania is where another family is. And there's a family in Florida and then there's some in Boston. How did your parents yeah. react to finding him? Um, they were, so my mom, my biological mom was like crazy excited, <laughs> like, like called me a bunch of times. Um, I texted her to say I was like, when I was meeting him, I texted her to say I was walking to my car to like pay more money because I paid to park. Mm-hmm. And she calls me right away. She's like, how's it going? What's he like? I'm like, it's not even over. Like, <laughs> so she was just super excited about it. Um. And then my other non-biological mom, she didn't, she seemed like, hey, that's cool. Like she seemed the same level excited as like my brother, where it's like interested, but like, eh, eh, it's Mm -hmm. fine, you know? Mm -hmm. So less enthusiastic than my mom, my biological mom. Yeah. Okay. Everyone responds differently. Yeah. And your brother was less interested in general? He's less interested in everything about this. Um, Yeah. He doesn't do the sibling like he when we were little he would go um because my mom brought him like and I don't mm-hmm. think he didn't want to but he just you know was he's just never been that interested I don't really know what more there is to it like he doesn't feel the need to be involved with any of it mm-hmm. yeah so your brother he's less interested but you were more interested and can you tell me a little bit of the motivation behind that? My interest is very biological curiosity. Like, I just love the, like, where did this trait come from? Where did this mannerism, maybe mannerism, maybe interest, maybe um, just all the, like, the genetics of it is what I really like. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I look so much like my mom I've been told that my whole life like you look just like your mom Mm -hmm. and so it's always been the running joke of like was there actually a man involved (laughs) so it's cool to see him and be like whoa that's actually there's a lot of me that looks like him too when you put us next to each other yeah you can see where the combination Mm -hmm. comes in and did it help you just fill in some missing pieces or make things did things make more sense in a way um 
I never, so that's a thing, again, some of my, I know some of my half siblings would say yes to that question. Yeah. Um, for me, it never felt like there were any missing pieces, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Maybe in my like angsty teen years, like, you know, my parents don't get me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'm trying to think back if I ever felt like, you know, there was another piece somewhere. But um, I did always wonder about like athleticism because my mom is not particularly athletic and my brother and I are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just like it's it was always more the physical traits or the like I guess some mental kind of traits too that I was more curious about than like a piece of me I guess those are pieces of me though hmm. <laughs> no that that's that makes sense for you there sounds like it it's not that there was anything that you didn't feel like something was missing or that your identity development wasn't missing anything and so for you is just that you still were curious and kind of just interested to know where these additional genetic traits that you had came from absolutely and almost like bonus a bonus for you yes so, definitely and yeah. I always thought it was really cool like I had this extra cool thing about my life mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it was different from the norm so I always liked that mm-hmm. part of it too mm-hmm. um, I did yeah. though, like, so it's different now, but when my parents picked the donor, it was just like, and I have it, it's this piece of paper and it's like eye color and then there's all these choices and he picked one and then it's eye shape and eye distance apart and eyelash length and eyelash thickness and then I that for every feature. So you're just like trying to piece together what this person might look like. There wasn't even a picture. Um, so I've always looked at that and like tried to picture this person, mm-hmm. but that's, that's so hard to do. Like, you know, it's just mm-hmm. crazy. And so, um, that I like, that was the biggest thing that I wanted to see what he looked like mm-hmm. because I had this picture in my head from all these, um, descriptions on this black, you know, black and white piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And then I also like did some of his favorites, like, favorite dog is a greyhound I think his animal was like a cheetah some movie that I chariots of fire maybe (laughs) I might have memorized this thing um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he also used to row crew in college which I guess Mm -hmm. yeah that's why he needed to to yeah yeah um and so I joined the crew team in college and I don't know I don't remember doing it because he did Mm -hmm. but maybe that was in the back of my head since it's like I clearly have that sheet memorized um yeah yeah (laughs) so I don't you know little things like that where I like sort of followed in what he did Uh I don't know and I'm not sure how conscious or subconscious that choice was but it was fun I ended up loving crew and doing well at it so yeah or if it's a type of you know a genetic tendency that was there anyway and then you, with the seed planted after reading his bio, then it, it was a natural fit. Right. Hard to say. So you always knew and, you know, you found him later in life. It was kind of like this bonus. And are you now active in any groups for donor conceived individuals or more? Are you in just more your half, a group with your half siblings? Yeah, just a group with my half siblings. We have like a giant group chat that we soon as we get a new sibling, we add him to it. 
Okay. Um, yeah. It's good to hear your story. We do hear from a lot of donor conceived individuals that aren't happy about being donor conceived for lots of various good reason. And so, and that's why I think there's a lot of change that needs to happen in the field of donor conception. It's been unregulated and, and really the kids haven't been thought of. That's not the priority. Uh, getting pregnant was a priority. And I think there just wasn't that long-term view. And if, as you know, it's, it began in secrecy mostly. And, you know, it's same sex couples that are more open and don't, obviously they don't keep secrets because they can't. Right. And well, a big chunk of my half siblings found out on 23andMe before their parents ever told them. Yeah. I wonder that's st- stories like that are so common that I'm here also hearing that they're not telling their parents that they know. Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's happened. I know that I'm thinking of a one in particular and it didn't go over very well. What they told their parents? No. Well, he confronted his mom. He was very mad. Mm. Um, and his, the man that had raised him as his dad had already died. So he never got to confront him. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of pain in that. She mm-hmm. just never told him. We knew about him because she signed up and told us he existed, but that not to reach out because he didn't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And That's he had difficult. a really hard time when he found out he was in college already. So it's just really old. I just, I wish everyone would just tell their kids. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask you. If, what do you think needs to change in the field of donor conception? Um, yeah, I think it just needs to be part of their story. Like it's part of mine mm-hmm. from day one. Like, look, this is your dad and he loves you, but your genetics came from this other one for whatever mm-hmm. you know reason it had to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think parents are afraid that their child's going to love or respect the the dad less but I don't think that's ever going to happen like that's still I've never felt like I love my other mom less because I don't have genetic material from her yeah yeah can you help explain that the way I explain it to parents is that when we're raised when by a parent and the attachment forms and you know they that attachment can't be replaced because our formative years are so unique. You know, once they're past, they're past. We can't go back to being a little kid again and have that same connection with an adult that we rely on for our survival. So how would, I mean, that's sort of more of a psychological way to explain it, but how do you explain it just to people that say, well, I'm afraid one day they're going to say, you're not my real dad and I'm going to go find my real dad and, and replace, replace you. (laughs) I've never had to explain it. Um, That's just not going to happen. Like, you don't love someone because your genes came from them. You love them because Mm -hmm. they raised you and they were there when it mattered. Yeah. And the sperm donor is never going to be there. Like, that's that's kind of the point. Well said. Well said. Yeah. You don't love someone because you have genetics. You love them because they were there for you. Absolutely. Yeah, it seems obvious to us, those of us who have been raised by non-genetic parents, mm-hmm. for those who have never experienced family life that way, they it's confusing for them for some reason. I, mean, I guess they've always associated family with genetics, so you don't know of, of the differences there. Yeah. I guess. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why it's been 
you know, educating parents is, is definitely something I feel passionate about because, you know, of what I know, but it's sometimes hard to find the right words to explain that their fears are coming from a, their own insecurities that, that they're, and they can work through them. You know, they can work through them and they can, I always associate it with a form of grieving that they, if they haven't properly grieved their loss, then they might be, you know, more likely to keep a secret or be fearful of the child knowing the truth. And maybe that's a good point because for heterosexual couples, like that loss is probably recent. Like they, they maybe didn't know that they couldn't conceive a child together and then tried and then couldn't mm-hmm. and very shortly after found another option where gay couples, they know from day one that that's, that's right. going to work out, you know. Absolutely. And a lot of um, same-sex couples say that they it's opposite for them because they never thought they could have children. Um, and now they know they can. And so this new opportunity opened up for them to have children. And so it is a, it's a different experience, you know, that yeah, starting like out. Yeah. It's opposite. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So that's, again, that's, you see all these different stories within the donor conception field and when you were growing up and your moms were talking about it, did they bring it up at various times throughout your life? Like when you were in middle school and the teenage years, did you have conversations about uh, the dude? (laughs) Yeah. We talked about him openly. Like it was, it's sort of like a running joke. We would, you know, the dude just mention him in certain ways. Like, Oh, maybe that came from the dude or like Mm -hmm. um, my mom would be like, I didn't give you that. Like, I don't know. I don't know where you got that. (laughs) Blame the dude or, you know, especially if it was something I didn't like, she'd be like, oh, it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's always like a lighthearted conversation there. Yeah, just a real comfort with it, talking mm-hmm. about it. And what about your non-genetic mom? How did you, did she ever feel left out at all? I wonder that all the time. Um, she, from what they tell me, she didn't want kids. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and so then I always say they had me and I was so amazing that she was like okay we can have another one and nice. then I had my brother and, and they were like oh never mind no more <laughs> done yeah um but I think it was just like um my mom my biological mom's dream and then I, my other mom supported her dream and ended up really loving having kids mm-hmm. um but she like pe- I'm a little off point, sorry. But people always ask me like, how they decide who was going to have the baby, mm-hmm. carry it. And for my parents, it was never like a discussion. One wanted to be pregnant, wanted to be a mom, wanted to have kids. The other was like, no way, yeah. not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so she never ever planned on being biologically involved in having a kid. So I think again for her, it was just like a bonus that she ended up loving. Um, and really enjoying being a parent and then I don't she never has like acted like she feels left out Mm -hmm. um if she does she's never expressed it to us um and for us it's just like any family like I'm closer it depends on the thing like if something's wrong we both call my mom (laughs) because she's just better in a crisis Mm -hmm. but like I get along better with my non-biological mom like we just Mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company a lot and that and where my brother and my mom uh, you know get along better mm-hmm. so 
mm-hmm. I don't you know what I mean it's just kind of I feel like no I don't think so it's mm-hmm. kind of just like any family where you like one maybe you're maybe I shouldn't say like one better but you get you know you just have a connection with one over another mm-hmm. um and your personalities are similar or you can relate on certain I think it's that our personalities are less similar okay <laughs> my mom and I are too much alike oh yeah makes sense um, too so but I don't think so she doesn't seem to feel left out um and we never leave her out yeah know? so yeah and what you know is common for same-sex couples to use a known donor um e- even sometimes a a relative and uh how do you ever wonder if you know or think that a known donor would have been better for you no I like it this way for sure yeah Um, I don't think they ever considered that if they did I've never heard them talk about it um Mm -hmm. I feel like it just adds another layer of complication like to me now I guess we know who he is and there's all this to it but it was just like he was just a sperm like that you know and it let us have them be the two parents and have their family that they wanted we just needed they just need a little help biologically instead of like a known I don't know like maybe it would be the brother of the non-biological mom or something Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's just so close like wouldn't it be I don't know maybe it works but be harder to not have a role when you know the child exists and you're like part of their life you have to have you have to understand the social role versus the genetic role, but mm-hmm. the social role would still be, you know, say it's an uncle, would still be the same. It would still be an uncle. They have a hard time just sticking to the social role and not feeling. No, not necessarily. It, families that have uh, good boundaries and, you know, mm-hmm. feel comfortable with it, the narratives and the way to talk with their kids about it can can navigate that pretty pretty well just as you accepted your story Um, yeah kids that are in the unknown donor situation it's just how it is their uncle is their donor but that's their uncle and so they know who they are and maybe they're close to them or maybe not right but their parents are still their parents yeah no I don't think that either it wasn't an option like maybe they didn't have I don't know if they tried that route and there was no one but from my understanding my mom wanted she didn't even want like a known sperm donor not like a family known but you know how you can get anonymous or she wanted like just the sperm (laughs) well circling back to the 80 half siblings is there any part about that that feels just makes you feel a little unsettled or do you feel comfortable with the fact that you know you can't manage that many relationships? It's impossible. 80 is way above and beyond the number of relationships that a person can manage. And so I'm sure you know that realistically normal, but does, you know, is there anything that feels hard for you? Because I know that is a concern parents ask me is what if my child has a lot of half siblings, are they going to be bothered by that? Um, so the, Overall answer is no, it's fine. Um, it doesn't bother me too much. Like having a ton instead of having none, like as it being a problem. The only thing that does bother me is I I got to experience having a few, you know, and when there were just a few of us, it was manageable to have a relationship with them. And I loved that. Like it was so cool to have this like 
online chat buddy that was technically my half sibling, but had a whole different life. And it was cool to, you know, have that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But as it grew and grew, it just was like, it's not manageable. And even the ones that we used to be closer, I feel like those sort of drifted too, because we were all trying to talk to everybody and not, and then it just, you know, you know how things go. Mm, So the few was awesome. The ton is fine. Does that, that sum yeah. it up? It does. And it makes sense. It's kind of unfortunate that you couldn't still maintain the relationship with the ones that you had, at least somewhat, you know, but I, it makes sense that it would be hard to, hard to distinguish. Maybe you don't want to leave people out or, you yeah. know, yeah, I can see where that would get confusing. So and there's so many personalities like, <laughs> yeah, like in the group chat, it's one of those where you can't even just like talk freely because there's just. I mean, it's essentially at this point, a group chat of strangers and mm-hmm. with a lot of different views on the world and a lot of different experiences and you know, a lot of personalities. So you have to really, it's not just like a chill, comfortable, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a little bit, but you still have to just really worry about who you could offend mm-hmm. because we have everything in our half student, like um, non-binary, the pronoun choices, they. Mm-hmm. and then you know straight and then they're gay and then so it's just like everything and there's single mom that never had a partner and then there's divorced gay parents and then there's hetero and homosexual like it's just you name it and political um, views are probably very oh, very I'm different sure. yep yeah so, so it's you just, it's got this cross-section of really of the population almost yeah this, <laughs> it feels like yeah we're just missing the age range we're like all one chunk mm-hmm. of age but um mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually there are a ton of similarities. Like almost all of us have picked like a healthcare or science-y um, career field, which is oh. pretty crazy. So there are like some where you see a trend that doesn't just like span yeah. everything, but yeah, for the most part, it's just all over the place. So it, it's, you know, you can't just let your guard down and say whatever you need to make sure you're mindful of other people's yeah feelings it'd be fascinating to do a study on your group alone we've talked about that a lot we have a couple phd candidates in our group that are like man maybe our we should mm-hmm. set this study up but no one's ever done it absolutely be fascinating yeah and if anybody else from the group would like to come on and talk to me too let me let me know uh, thank you for coming i'm really gra- glad you stepped forward and i mean thank you so much for coming on is there anything else that you'd like to share at all i'm so happy i'm alive and it was you know it's fine to have a different life just tell them just tell them from day one <laughs> mm, i love that it's fine to have a different life just tell them yeah so they know and they can know that all along. They don't have to go back and figure it out later. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Ellie. It was great having you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram at Jana Rupnow LPC and Facebook. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.